So we've built a $600 million business just with 1-800-GUT-JUNK. We could have not scaled to that level if we weren't awesome at systems. Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Hey, it's Dave here, and our guest today is Brian Scudamore. He's an American-born Canadian entrepreneur. He's the founder of a range of different companies, but probably most well-recognized for one 800 got junk Now, I first heard of Brian from Michael E. Gerber. Michael used to talk about this guy who went all in on the e-myth and built the McDonald's of junk removal services. And a few years back, I had a colleague that then suggested I read The Vivid Vision by Cameron Herald. And then I found out that Cameron was the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So the deeper that I've dug into Brian's world, it really is quite extraordinary what he's built and the people that he's surrounded himself with. Just recently, I also finished his latest book, BYOB, Build Your Own Business, Be Your Own Boss. And it's very clear that he's a lover of systems and processes, which is perfect because that's what we're going to be talking about today. So firstly, Brian, just wanted to welcome you to the call. Thank you, Dave. Happy to be here. And while it's something I don't talk about as much as I would like, I love systems. I really do love systems because they make our lives easier. And let's yeah. face it, as an entrepreneur, as a leader in a business, you want to grow, you want to grow more quickly. Systems allow us, I think, to scale in a faster and better way. Massive fan. That probably leads into my first question, which is, and you touched on some of it, but I'd love to dig a bit deeper about how you feel about business systems. Because I know a lot of visionary founders, they oftentimes don't see themselves as systems people. And I'm curious to yeah find out a little bit more about how you feel about it. I think I was probably born into some systems methodology without realizing it, that I'm very AD as an entrepreneur. I see squirrels all over the place and I got to bring my focus back. And so I need processes and checklists to help keep me focused. But my people, all of our people across any of our brands, like 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Wow One Day, or Shack Shine, they want to know that we've got processes that tell them the best way to do anything we do. So someone in Shack Shine wants to know, what's the Shack Shine way? And there should be one way of doing something until we get so lucky as to find the better way. So the way I really stumbled into it, Michael Gerber author of the e-myth. We've become friends. I think he's 85 now. And I talk to him a couple of times a year. He's phenomenal. And I'm not a big reader, but when I picked up his book, I read it cover to cover in two city, in, in one sitting and then read it again. And I said, this book will change the course of how I do business. Because if I naturally understood that you could take a process and make it simpler, the e-myth taught me how to almost franchise my business and it said, build your business out like a franchise, even if you don't plan on using that model. Because if everything is so cookie cutter and everyone understands what's expected and here's how we interview, here's how we bring new employees into the business and onboard them, here's how we price jobs, how we load the truck, everything just became a best practice. We started to look, feel, and act so much like a franchise that I said, wow, I think this is actually the way to go. But systems thinking inspired by first the e-myth and of course your book, Systemstology, had us go, how do we really ingrain it in every single thing we do 
to make sure that we're not trying to reinvent the wheel and that mm. everyone's doing it the best practice way. How early in 1-800-GOT-JUNK's life did this happen? Was this right at the inception or had you been running it for some years or when did you actually get bitten by the bug? Yeah, good way to say it. Bitten by the bug. I got that systems bug after I read the e-myth. I read the e-myth, I think, in 1995. So six years into the business, I would have been about a half a million-ish in revenue, maybe 10 employees or so, fairly small. But we were starting to see the problems of Brian as the founder does it this way, other people do it a different way. It needed to be uniformed. And in the same way that we literally said, here's the uniforms you wear when you're hauling junk, here's how the trucks need to look, here's the safety inspection checklist. And we really set out to, after reading the e-myth, to put every single thing we do that we figured out a best practice way I said, how do we put on one sheet of paper, almost like a manual, Mm. one sheet, what is the best practice of how to do anything? So in the call center, we take today thousands upon thousands of calls a day. But I remember when we were taking dozens, I wanted to know that it was a McDonald's-like experience in the sense that every time someone called, they got the same friendly energy. They were The rates were explained with the same consistent process. Nothing was missed. And as we started to build it out that way, the customers saw the impact and the customers, we would always look at it. I got this from an e-myth coach years ago was the key frustrations process. How do you look at something that's not working in the business that's causing a frustration and say, how do we nip that in the bud? How do we put a system in place to ensure that people aren't fail over and over with that process? And it's changed the way we do business. And you've done, you've started multiple businesses and other brands as well, and you've built this sort of systems thinking into those. I'm curious, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, you had a small team around you, you were starting to get a little bit of momentum, obviously, if you've got 10 people around you. At what point when you start a new company, do you start to think about systems? Is it from day one, or do you try and figure things out? Or at what point do you start adding it into the mix? We start thinking about it from day one, for sure. But I think in the life cycle of of a new business, you want some space for innovation and making mistakes. And so you don't want to systematize everything because you haven't figured out the business model. So let's take Shackshine as an example. We do windows, gutter washing, power washing. We do a lot of things to shine the home and almost like a house detailing industry, if you will. Something we added later on a couple of years into business was Christmas lights. We make your home sparkle and glow by power washing, doing the gutters, doing the windows. The Christmas light side fit perfectly. Mm. We didn't systematize that side of the business when it came on board because we said we just we have to understand why people want Christmas lights, what the process is, what the challenges are. And so I think you've got to give some time to understand the business and make some mistakes before Mm. you try and create a process behind. Again, I go back to me, a system, a process is a best practice. Until you identify a best practice, there really isn't a system. Yeah. Uh, You look at an airline pilot, all they're doing is an organized system of best practices that keep us safe, but you don't want chance to get in the way. You want to know that every single time that pilot is looking at the checklist to make sure that every single button that needs to be pressed has been pressed. Same thing in 1-800-GOT-JUNK, same thing in Shackshine. When we know that here's the best way to sell a job, 
to price a job, to show up and do a touch up, whatever the case might be, there's a way to do it. And we want to be able to go back to our customers and depend on the fact that someone followed the system and we know it was done with a consistent way. Now, that doesn't mean robotic, right? It doesn't mean that there's no personality behind what we do. We let people personalize the experience as employees in any of our brands, but we expect them to follow a core process to ensure that it was delivered with excellence. Yeah. It sounds like as well in that initial innovation stage, and you mentioned something just before I hit record, is that you see yourself as like the systems champion in the business and you're helping to drive it and capture some of those early systems. I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. I think is that part of the role of the business owner is to figure out some of these best practices and then turn them into process? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, you would have dealt with so many more businesses than I and different business owners. So I'd be curious on your perspective as well. But mine would be that the business owner, if they're not a systems person, they need to find someone to play that role. Yeah. So a visionary like myself, I, we've got Eric, who's our president, who's our implementer. I'm the visionary. We work really well together, like Cameron Harold and I did, where I'm the visionary. I'm setting these big, bold ideas. Where do we want to go? But Eric's team will make sure that there are processes in place to ensure that things are done with excellence. You have to have someone in the business. While I'm the champion of systems in our company, I think I'm the champion of here's the need for them, the spirit behind them, the old EMIF, yeah. people don't fail, systems do. When we make a mistake, we say, okay, what did we learn here? It wasn't yeah. really that someone failed. We didn't have the right system in place to ensure that someone knew step-by-step step the procedures to follow to make sure that this was done right. Now, someone might go, hey, Brian, it's junk removal. Do you really need all the systems? Yeah, our profitability depends on systems. Why not save time and be more efficient by doing it the right way every single time rather than trying to reinvent how we do things? That's why someone buys a franchise. They go, Brian, listen, when we buy a franchise with any of your O2E brands, we want to know that you figured out all the challenges. Mm. We want to know that if you if this happens, what do I do? And again, it doesn't mean they don't get creativity and that they don't make the business better with their ideas. But it really is going, what is that best way? And how can I ensure from a customer perspective, from a brand growth perspective, that we've nailed how to do it? I love hearing the way that you describe and explain this, because just the language that you're using just shows me how deeply this system's DNA is just embedded into your makeup. And it speaks to something that I remember Michael Gerber had said to me, and you'll oh, love to get your perspective, Dave. I remember Michael, I'd sent him a copy of the systemology book. And in the book, I, I give the business owner a little bit of an out by saying, hey, you can get the team to help do this. And we try and take the business owner out as soon as possible. And Michael's words were, Dave, don't let the business owner off the hook because, mm -hmm. and I always, that stuck with me because the business owner still needs to lead it. Maybe they're not the person who is getting in there and writing out the process and crossing the T's and dotting the I's, but they need to have it in their language and be upfront and tell the team that this is how we do things here. And they need to not be above the law and above the rules. And that's such an important piece for that visionary founder to play. Yeah. And the visionary founder has to tell the stories of why things are important in our business, why we do things the way we do them. 
And so even if they don't create the systems, as you said, or write them all out, they need to be someone that believes in, here's why we do this. It's like the movie, The Founder with all about McDonald's and not one pickle, two pickles. They had a system and those two pickles were there for whatever reason Ray Kroc believed in, but that was their way. Don't do one pickle. Don't do three. The flavor of that burger, the consistency of what you expect, it's two pickles. And still to this day, it's two pickles. So I think as the owner, you need to decide what is important to you. And then how do you make sure that you've got the system in place to ensure it happens every Mm. single time? Definitely feels business ends up being a reflection of the business owner. You can look at someone's business and you can tell a lot about the individual behind it based on how the business is run. I'm curious to know how you've then built up the systems culture in the organization. Obviously, you talking about it and being upfront and talking to the team and making it important, but what are some of the ways that you kept systems front and center? Yeah, so we've built a $600 million business just with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We could have not scaled to that level if we weren't awesome at systems. When I go to any city in North America, or if I'm in Australia and I see our trucks there, they look the same, the uniforms are the same, the people smile the same, like they've got this energy and enthusiasm. So how did we get there? It goes back to five years into the business, around the time I read the E-Myth, I actually fired my entire team. They say one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I had nine bad apples of 11. I didn't know what to do with the remaining two, so I just wiped out the whole company. But I said, I let you down. I started with two words. I said, I'm sorry. As your leader, I didn't give you the love and support you needed, the guidance, the direction. You don't believe in me. I didn't believe in you. And I'm sorry this hasn't worked out, but I need to start again. Around that time and with reading the E-Myth, what I realized is I wasn't the right leader, but I wasn't leading with giving people the systems to be successful. So we did everything from, we started with systems to find the right people systems to train the right people, systems to keep them great. So every single thing we did was calculated, was organized, had a result that we expected. We didn't Mm. always hire the right people, but because we were so intentional about the type of person we were looking for and how to train them, we got organized and it allowed us to scale. Again, it's no coincidence when we have our big gathering of franchise partners every year and you get about 700 to 1,000 people in a room, birds of a feather flock together. Like they're attracted by this entrepreneurial energy and the systems organization behind what we do and the consistency because as the champion of systems, it's something I've pushed. And maybe last thing I'll say about this, Dave, is I've really leaned on Michael Gerber's philosophy of people don't fail, systems do. So when someone makes a mistake, it's really easy for someone to go, oh, what a jerk. How did this guy do this? He just doesn't care. Hold on. Let's look at why there's lots of people failing with that same practice. How can we change it? How can we Mm -hmm. fix it? How can we put something in place? I can give you a very simple example that this was a real frustration is we had our software where we do all our booking and dispatch. And way back in the day, it was called JunkNet. And I said, as the owner, it's really important to me to understand every person that calls into the call center, how did you hear about us? How did you learn about 1-800-GOT-JUNK? So I'd get people to, to, there was a field that they had to fill out what the answer was. People would forget. 
I'd remind them. We'd put post-it notes up around their computer. Don't forget to click that box. Don't forget. I realized everybody, including myself, sometimes would be busy on a call and you'd just forget to ask the question, how did you hear about us? So we made that field mandatory. We realized that you couldn't actually complete the order without making that field have a choice in it. Mm. And once we changed that, we went from 50% success to 100% success. Everybody completed it because you couldn't go further and click and dispatch an order without asking, how did you hear about us? So it wasn't, again, people failing. It was a missing system. Mm. And allowing people permission to understand that they're not the ones failing, they're not getting blamed. Let's look for a missing systemic solution. That's what allows, I think, the business to adopt and want to really build out further these best practices. Is there something, characteristics or qualities or something that help you identify upfront if someone's going to be able to follow process? Is that some like a consideration or is there something as you think about it now that you extrapolate and you go, you know what, we look for this and this? As franchise owners, we definitely look for people to follow systems. So part of the interview process when we're interviewing a new franchise owner we look for where in their past history have they shown that they like instructions, that they don't like to... Cre- so I would be a terrible franchise owner. Yeah. The reason I would be a terrible franchise owner is I would want to reinvent it. When yeah. I cook, as an example, something I love to do for fun, I don't follow a recipe. I would just throw in some different ingredients. Like my, One of my favorite things to make is a really good solid minestrone soup. And what I love about that is it's different every time because it depends what's in the fridge or what's in season, different amounts of ingredients I like to invent. I like to create most people when they cook to follow a recipe. Mm -hmm. So we look at people's personalities and, and determine, do they like to follow a recipe? Would you rather follow a recipe perfectly and get it right the first time? Or would you rather make some mistakes and innovate a little bit and might not have a great soup the first time, but the second and third, you're like, this is my own. So I think it's a personality thing. We don't care as much about can someone follow a process when they're in the trucks, when they're at the front lines, that comes out very quickly, whether they can do it or not. We're really hiring more on cultural fit at that level. But as a franchise owner, if they're not willing to follow a system, don't spend a bunch of money buying a franchise because that's what you're paying for is partially the proven recipe. And then the support from all of us to hold you accountable to the recipe you want to follow so you can guarantee that you're successful. The other question I'm curious about the systems, because you've developed these obviously in 1-800-GOT-JUNK and then Mm. you've started up other brands. Are you finding there are like some of these systems and processes are transferable? I'm imagining, because you mentioned with 1-800-GOT-JUNK, it was interesting. You build it up to 10, then you thought we need systems. Then you got everybody back down, got rid of them. Then you built some systems in or got some of the culture right. And then you started building from there, which makes me think adding systems in or at least having the mindset from day dot is key because that builds the culture. And you talked straight away about, hey, when you recruit, at least for the drivers and things, you're recruiting for cultural fit. And it's so you want to get that piece right from the start. And I'm wondering when you then you're starting these new brands. If you're able to lift chunks of what you've done over in 1-800-GOT-JUNK and then deploy it into the new business to jumpstart some of those best practices. I think one of the things we've done is a high level focus point in a brand is we say, what do we stand for? So O2E, my parent company, ordinary to exceptional. 
We're taking ordinary businesses like junk removal and making them exceptional through customer experience. What does exceptional look like? We started with in 1-800-GOT-JUNK early on before we actually hit this bar is we said, here's what makes us exceptional. On-time service, upfront rates, clean, shiny trucks, and friendly uniform drivers. That is our brand. That's what we stand for. Now, how do we make sure that those exceptional focus areas are achieved? What are the systems behind making sure our drivers mm -hmm. are friendly and uniformed, our trucks are clean and shiny? We then take those EFAs and we go into our other brands and we say, what's the most important thing? Let's pick WOW one day as an example. One of the things we shoot for is exceptional communication. When you're going in to paint someone's home and you're doing the estimate and you're picking colors and picking a paint day and you're painting their house in a day, every step of the way, they want exceptional communication. They don't want to be left in the dark. That's one of our exceptional focus areas. Then how do we put a system in place to ensure that we deliver that? A brand, any business, a brand is a set of promises we make and keep. If we make promises and we don't keep them, we go to business. If we make promises and we keep them every single time, we grow like McDonald's. It's interesting. And part of the reason I'm so passionate about systems is I've seen the difference they've made in our scalability of top line revenue, profits, growth of people, and so on. And I think most businesses get to a point of a million dollars in revenue, let's call it, and they can't let go. And one of the things they can't let go of is going, and Nemeth talks about this, Sarah's pies. She can't get out of her own way and scale the business. But if she had processes to find the right people, train the right people, keep them great, that's where the answer lies. Yeah, I love that. Have you seen some of your colleagues and people in your world that are trying to make that jump? And do you have any suggestions for them? Because that is hard for some business owners. Sarah, as we talked about, she's embedded into the business. She knows every part of how to bake the best pies. And to a certain extent, a lot of her ego and identity and who she is, she's built that up. And it is, that's probably the biggest frustration and problem that I'm trying to work on and solve for business owners because so many people struggle with it. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how does someone make that leap? Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Dave. I'd say one of the first things is they just have to jump. Like, how do you make the leap? Just mm -hmm. jump. And so something we do that works really well for us is I've got a process that I call going dark. So one of my own personal systems is when I'm away on vacation, I get my assistant to change my passcode on my email and my social media, and I can't check it. Now, she's there to check it. She's there to feed off information to other people on the team if needed, but I'll go dark for a month and I will not check my email and she will not text and get in touch. I've taken the leap. I've just let go. But what we had to do to get there was I said to Jen, who's just an incredible assistant, is I've said, and she's more of a partner than an assistant. And I said, okay, this is your first time working with me years ago that you're going to see me go dark. Here's a checklist of all the things you need to think about. If this happens, here's who you talk to. If this happens, this is what you do. If something happens that you don't know what to do, here's the person to go talk to. So she very quickly got to create her own systems and understand when Brian's not around for a month, how do I do my job? What is my job? And we partnered on that. So I think an entrepreneur, a small business owner who says, okay, I want to control everything. 
the worst thing they can do was be on a beach somewhere in Hawaii and pick up the phone and call and check in. Yeah. The best thing they can do is let their trusted team, assuming they found a trusted team, deal with it and learn from their mistakes that they might make. Mm. I definitely feel like when you have a discussion with business owners, they start out with this vision of building something that gives them freedom. And then they end up getting chained to the business and they have anything but what they actually wanted. Once you realize there is no other way, if you want to build a business that works without you, you're going to have someone who can step in for you. Like you said, you just have to make that leap. Even Mm. if you stuff up the first leap and you fall and you stumble, what do you do? You get back up again and you have another crack at it because there is no other way to do this. Yeah. The taking the leap, I really am very literal in that. Just jump. When someone jumps and they go, I'm letting go and I'm letting someone deal with all these problems and challenges, you get to see how that trusted partner dealt with Mm. some decision. And you get to talk about it. What did you learn? I found all the time that the first couple of days are challenging for someone like a new assistant who then goes, oh my gosh, Brian's going dark. What do I do? But they very quickly build some confidence. They build their own systems. They start to learn and understand how to navigate that. And Mm -hmm. so in any company, you get people that work seven days a week running, let's say, Sarah's Pies, when they should be taking a weekend for their family. They should be taking some vacation, but they're not allowing themselves. But if they take that leap and just go, okay, Mm -hmm. you're in charge, Mr. or Mrs. whoever, you are in charge of the pie shop on Saturday. Here's what I expect. Here's what the goals are. However you make it happen, go for it. And let's talk on Monday. It's liberating. I don't think people start businesses because they want to be chained to them. I think they start them because they want freedom. But as you said, they end up losing that freedom and they don't have to. That first step, taking the leap, potentially depending on the size of the business and if you've got great team around you and letting them have that experience and grow. Because that that I've always I found challenging. I'm getting better at it. And I think it's because I'm a helper and I want to help the team member and I don't want to see them fail. But the more I've realized it is part of their growth is by being given the opportunity to run with something. And maybe it doesn't go exactly the way that I wouldn't personally have run it, but that learning experience comes from them, makes them stronger. And then we figure out what is the root cause here. And then we can go to work on the systems And I can always trace every problem back to a system. So I think that's really great advice. When would they take that first leap? And you talked about some of the first systems as being key. I think there are some recruitment systems. And I think thinking about what's important to the business here and what are the values and what is it that we're trying to deliver on? Okay, we want to have exceptional customer service. So obviously we need to go to work on those customer service systems. I'm wondering, yeah, what's your... thought process around prioritization of what systems are we going to go to work on? Because there's an infinite number of systems we could be working on here. Yeah, it's a great question. So the simplest way I see that is if you're a small business and you've got 10 employees like I had and things start to grow, you look at yourself as a founder, as the CEO of that business that you're the empire that you're building, what are you best at? Where's your time better spent and what things do you need to get off your plate? So Mm -hmm. here's an example. We were probably, I don't know, 5 million in revenue and we were starting to franchise. We were starting to grow. 
I was spending a lot of my time doing PR, getting, get, conducting interviews with the press, with the newspapers, TV stations, and so on. But I was spending even more of my time hunting down and trying to find journalists that were interested in our story. That wasn't a good use of my time. I needed someone to set up the appointment where I could get on and talk to the press. So we brought a guy on, Tyler Wright, who was 23 years old, had zero PR experience. Now, Cameron Harold actually hired him. And I'm like, what are you doing? This guy has no experience. He had all the energy in the world and enthusiasm. We knew he could smile and dial and pick up that phone and pitch and tell a good story. So we trained him and we had to create the system for the first time of how does Brian pitch the press? What are the three key things that I say in what order? How do I say them? How do I get results? What have I learned? And we taught Tyler on that. And we were so good and so clear with the instructions given to Tyler that he executed and made a ton of phone calls and got us on the Oprah Winfrey show. It took 14 months of him pitching the Oprah Winfrey show along with other stuff he was doing. I wouldn't have had the patience to follow through for that long to make that happen. We were able to be very specific and tell him, here's what you say. And he was able to innovate in the role as well. But if you're so specific what you're looking for and how to do it as a starting point, Hmm. you show someone, you teach them. They become an apprentice of yours and off they go. At one point, we had six people working in our PR team following the same process. And it all started with reaching out to the media, picking up the phone and saying, I got a great story for you. And with high enthusiasm, people are like, what's the story? I got to hear. And we had a process behind it and a follow-up process and it worked. And it got us probably 6,000 media hits over the years. Mm -hmm. So anything can be systematized. But back to your question, to me, it's as a founder, as an entrepreneur who's building a business, what do I need off my plate so that I have more time to deal with the things I love to do, I'm great at, and so on. Yeah, I've been playing around with this. And I know there's multiple different ways to solve this problem. And systemology, the ways that we approach at first office, we think, how is it that you make money and let's systemize that core process so the business can make money without the business owner? Because oftentimes you can solve a lot of other problems in business once you've got your cash flow sorted. That's really the job, I think, of the business owner to go, where's the biggest leverage point here? Another question I've got for you is around the level to which you develop the systems, because that's another thing when it comes to McDonald's. And when we think about a systemized business, we think about McDonald's and the the detail that they've gone into for everything. And they're recruiting 15 year old kids off the street to flip hamburgers. So I have to tell them exactly what to do. It's like interesting to figure out where's that balance? Because I'm sounds like you're recruiting really talented, great people as well. I'm wondering to what level of detail or how you think about to what level do certain things need to be systemized and how do we create enough space for great team members to also flourish and bring their own thinking? Yeah, it's a great question. So my philosophy has always been, especially in the early days after reading the e-myth, is every process had to fit on one page and no more. If I couldn't write the system down on one page, it wasn't a system. It was too complex. How do you answer the phones in the sales center and the call center? What you need to say as maybe the 10 key bullets for how you open the call, how you close the call and book the job and give people parameters and direction. And we're not scripted in the sense that you have to say exactly these things. 
but every process, it's what's the key that we need to ensure happens here. A checklist could be go to, I'm making this up as a grocery store analogy, but go to the grocery store and buy me some oatmeal. So somebody goes to the grocery store and comes back and you're like, that's the wrong oatmeal. I wanted rolled oats, not whatever, then steel cutouts. And I want this brand and I want this size and it has to be organic. The more specific you are with a system, I think depends on how important it is for your business. So if you're in a restaurant, you're using oatmeal and you really care for Bob's organic rolled oats, great. Make sure you specify that. If it doesn't matter, just great, go get some oatmeal. So everything we do, we get more specific depending on how important it is in the business. And it depends. We've got Shackshine is a little more complicated than 1-800-GOT-JUNK, which is just junk removal. Shackshine has a whole bunch of other services and putting up Christmas lights on someone's home, taking them down, storing them. There's a lot more steps. It doesn't mean that it has to still be overcomplicated, but it, there, there might be more steps in the process of how to systematize that. There's a few philosophies and you shared them throughout the interview as we've been going. I'm wondering if there are any other ways that you think about systems that might be different from others in the industries that you work in? Are there certain views that you think, oh, I think about systems differently to most? I think what we do differently is just how much we think about them, how much we talk about them. So we have a daily stand-up meeting that touches four or 500 people a day called Huddle. Yeah. We've systematized that. So we do it in a virtual environment. Some people are back at the office. A lot of people are on Zoom. You'll get hundreds of people showing up. But in our head office, the junction, if someone's running it from the head office, they would see the steps of Huddle on the stage below them. So they can look down if they've forgotten the steps. But we start with good news. Who's got good news? Any good news to share with the entire system? What are the key numbers? How are we doing in our three critical numbers for the day? In the news, what's happening in one department? Share that within 90 seconds. So you have different people sharing information and it all ends in a cheer. It's a seven-minute stand-up meeting, runs like a well-oiled machine. Everyone's different, yet the same amount of time. They're all entertaining the huddle master who runs it makes it their own in terms of spirit, has some fun with it, might be more serious depending on the person, but we systematize that. And so what we do differently than I think other companies is we're not leaving things to chance. If huddle starts at 10.55 a.m., very precise. If we didn't have it as a seven-minute meeting, someone running in that day could run it for 15 minutes and it goes over and it interferes with everyone else's meetings. So It depends on how important systems are to the predictability of what you're trying to build. Giving people freedom to systematize things and not over-systematize them. We've got a lot of creativity in our business, but anyone that would walk through the junction, the head office is, wow, this is like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. There is energy and enthusiasm and creativity, but the things that matter the most are really systematized. Yeah, it's funny. You touched on a few things on this call where your things like your recruitment and your onboarding and your customer service systems and your huddles. And they're just a few of like ones that have surfaced up where it's very clearly, hey, these are really important to us. In the tail end, are there any other systems that are top of mind for you where you're just like, this is important to the way that we do things? 
Yeah. On the recruiting side, I think that I'm wearing my hat today that says it's all about people. That came from the day I fired 11 people. I realized the company is all about finding the right people and treating them right. So I vowed we'd be very careful with bringing people into our organization. Now, over the years, we actually simplified our hiring process versus making it more complicated. I always felt that hiring was a challenge where people would sit down and, okay, Dave, tell me about a time that you did this and your favorite boss and what was this biggest challenge and your biggest weakness. They all blend in as just boring interviews. And do people show up giving you the real transparent who they are? And so we said, how do we simplify it more? How do we make a system? What are the two questions we need to ask every single employee that we answer in our own minds? And we call it the beer and barbecue test. Do they pass the beer test and do they pass the barbecue test? We don't ask the person we're interviewing, but we ask ourselves. So the beer test is, would we sit and have a beer with this person? Do we find them interesting, interested, a shared common passion? Can we see them working within our organization? Do they have just that excitement for what we're building and how we're doing it? The beer test is how would they fit at a company picnic, a company barbecue, if we brought everyone together? Everyone's not the same by any means. We've got lots of diversity of opinions and cultures and backgrounds, but people come together and it just feels like a good house party. So do they pass the beer test? Do they pass the barbecue test? We hire on attitude. We train on skill for most positions. If you need a CFO running your finances, of course, you need some skill, but we still hire on personality. And this helps us get to the core of instead of interviewing with all these crazy interview questions, just sit down and get to know people. My favorite interview question is, so what do you do for fun? And you get someone to open up and really talk about what they do for fun and you push a little bit and you just get to to know who they are as a person and hear what they're passionate about. Sometimes people light up talking about their passions and what they do for fun. That's the energy we want. And the beer and barbecue test is a simple system to ensure that happens. I love that. It's funny, a few things in business when I started, I didn't think about as much. And it's only after years I've started to realize how important they are. Things like getting your values right and figuring out your vivid vision and getting the right people on board. And it's only kind of the longer you're in business, the more you start to realize it's not airy fairy. This is, you get that stuff in place because it breeds the culture. And that's come up as a theme throughout this, getting the right people and building that right culture. Yeah, just wanted to thank you so much for the call today. I feel like we touched on some really key insights for people. If they want to learn a little bit more about you, I'm definitely going to recommend they read your book, BYOB, and you can just jump on Amazon and grab that. Is there anywhere else that you might suggest people find out more about what you're working on? If they go to brianscudamore.com, that's my own personal website, which links to all of our brands, Wow One Day Painting, Shack Shine, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I love nothing more than being a part of watching people grow, creating businesses for themselves, better systematizing their businesses. We love what we do. I'm so grateful to do what I do every day as an entrepreneur and always love hearing from people if they ever want to reach out, if something connected here and they can find me at brianscudamore.com. Fantastic. Thank you. I love the fact it just feels like you, regardless of where you are, what you're doing, you're leading by example, whether it's to your team, whether it's to other entrepreneurs, and it just shines through in all your work. So thank you very much for what you do. Thank you. You've just been listening to the System Hub podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. 
head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.